Neville, you have control of the board. Select a category. Disclaimers for 100. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as this. Neville. What is private individuals? Correct. Select again. Disclaimers for 200. Their comments do not necessarily reflect these. Neville. What is the opinions of the organizations they work for? Yes. Select again. Disclaimers for 300. Anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously this. Neville. What is very general? That's it. Disclaimers for 400. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and fly this. Neville. What is the aircraft? Yes. Select. Disclaimers for 500. But you knew this. Robert. What's a lineies? No, Wendy. What is the punchline? No, Neville. What is that? Correct, but you knew that. Congratulations, Neville. You have swept the category. Um, let her rip. Okay. Push the record button. Okay. Got lineies, been fed, which I usually don't do until after we're done, so... I'm ahead of the game. A, a, few, a few months back, or I don't know, a year ago or so, sometime in the past, we talked about the story of some guy who was who was flying his kid to a tennis lesson, and they were oh. late, so Dad decided to land on the next-door golf course to right. uh, deliver his kid to the lesson. Well, apparently, from the news we've now, heard... Now, now that, was a, that was a fixed-wing airplane. It that was, was like a fixed-wing But like apparently, that pilot, that pilot has now transitioned to helicopters now. Because... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably a different guy. So what's the story here? This guy... Uh, let's see, now, I should have brought this, this up on my screen before we started talking here. Yeah, this, this uh, is a, a rated rotorcraft pilot. Um, first day of school this year, uh, which is you know a week or ten days ago... Um, he literally flies his son to his first day of high school in a helicopter. It looks like a, a Schweitzer. Um, yeah, that's what it is. Or it landed, yeah, or very old Hughes 300. Uh, landed in a very clear area, completely legal, um, didn't endanger anybody. There was no drama, nothing. You okay, know. well... All right, go ahead. No, the, no, 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 there's no drama with the operation of the helicopter right, as yeah. far as it being an unsafe operation of a helicopter. Uh, it was it was completely uh, um, um, routine, let's put it that way. But the whole place just completely uh, wigged out. They okay. sure did. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, we're under attack! You know, by this this single helicopter, this single piston powered helicopter that's doing good to carry two people. Yeah, and, uh, and the whole thing's just just. I mean, this is about the man, most unthreatening. I mean, man, haven't you seen the movies, man? I mean, yeah. don't you know that they can carry a 500 megaton nuclear no. weapon that weighs 200,000 pounds Even on the, the smallest thing, man? I mean, you know, yeah. they're just hovering out there waiting to hit us, man. No. I mean, you know, right. man. Even the general public, this is the, the most non-threatening helicopter you can possibly imagine. This is the helicopter that Santa <laughs> this Claus is, this arrives is helicopter in, in the police winter department. Right? in the Midwest give up because if the bad guy turns and runs into the wind, 
you can't uh-huh. keep them. <laughs> this, is, this, this is something someone threw away when they were thinking about a dangerous helicopter. Okay. Yeah. And I got a name for the TV. I got a name for the movie special of the week to go this. Go with this. What's that? Yeah. Flight times at East Ridge High. Ooh. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So I don't know. You so did Jeb. That, that's the name of the school, East Ridge High. I mean, you know, you, yeah. I could make up that part. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. It. So let's, I'm reading this story here. So he rented this. This was a, Yeah. Yeah. He, this was a big deal um, down, you know, locally. But you know, the FAA's like, shut. You know, I can't say exactly what the FAA said um, <laughs> um, on a on a on a family podcast. But the operation was completely legal, and the FAA's like. You know, uh, he landed the aircraft safely and in accordance with the federal aviation regulations. Next question. Now, specifically, where did he land? Describe the the picture here shows him well, landing on some grass, but I can't imagine that's this this particular. I can't place. imagine this that specific episode. No, um, in a in an empty practice field is what is my understanding. Uh huh. Yeah, this picture looks well, like the uh, helipad on the golf course at uh, Grandfather yeah, Mountain uh, Course in North Carolina. I'd like to think. I'd like to think it's his backyard, but I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, according to the principal, David E. Cunningham, is that the air- aircraft vehicle, as they put it, had to come down in a cleared area away from students, which meant that it was unlikely that most of the students saw it anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, the principal was definitely not thrilled and uh, said to the uh, reporters, it's not something that needs to happen every day or ever. Eh. Well, the or ever part is over. It's happened. Uh, Interestingly enough, everybody survived. Nothing tragic happened. No terrorist attack. No bombs were exploded. No politicians imploded. So all in all, it's kind of like everybody walked away, so everybody should shut up. No politicians were harmed in the making of this episode. (laughs) That's a disappointment. Hey, welcome, folks, to episode 153 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Uh, We're recording this episode on Sunday evening, September 13th, 2009. I think it's September 13th. Wow, Friday the 13th came on Sunday? That's right. Uh, That's really spooky. I know. That is spooky. It could be really dangerous. It could be really dangerous. Let me say hi to my friends here in the virtual hangar. Uh, We've got uh, Jeb Burnside's out there talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you? I'm fine, Jack, um, and uh, good evening to you and David and, and all of our listeners, um, uh, wherever they may be. Uh, doing well. Uh, restful weekend. Um, got a big project done last week, basking in the glow of uh, um, knocking out another magazine. Mm-hmm. And um, just a very relaxing weekend, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting some stuff done this coming week that's not deadline-related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... And also here is Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas, where we're all headed pretty soon, but we'll talk more about that later on. David, how you doing? Uh, really well. Been a lovely weekend with only a hint of moisture, uh, just a touch of cloudy, cool, humid, uh, turned into a, uh, a, a, a pretty much a total FOAD weekend. FOAD weekend. Oh. Yeah, Bleep off and die weekend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, 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 all know, due one, we're all due one of those every now and then. 
Well, you know, the, the, the list of things that I should have been doing this weekend was, uh, yeah. was in existence last weekend when weather pretty much precluded any of them being done. And then it was a hyper hump weekend between, uh, including a little hanging around airplanes uh, a couple of days. And by the time everything got wrapped up and uh, started looking at the chore list yesterday, I was kind of like, okay, uh, let's see, one, two. I got three things done on the list, the three easy things. Time to take a break. Uh, call me on Monday. Yeah, you know, that's my work style all the time. Call me on Monday. Um, let's see now. So uh, I was going to go <laughs> call fly. who on Monday? Call who on Monday? Yeah. Call I was, who on Monday? Call me on Monday. Who is that? Yeah. Call you on I have no idea what you're talking. This is another one of Dave's play on words that I don't get until uh, I listen to the podcast later on tonight. And that's our producer and creator, yeah. Jack Hodgson. Oh, from World that's what he's dropping the hint all about man. here. Okay, and, man. I, and I am Jack. I was on the verge of forgetting completely. I'm Jack we, Hodgson. We, I, I was waiting for the next shoe to fall. I was just <laughs> you know, talking, keeping, keeping my powder dry from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire. Where uh, fall is starting to take hold, it's kind of nice. I like fall. Uh, it, it's uh, I would like it if it was warmer, fall. but warmer usually means humidity up here. So I'll take fall. Cooler. Fall here in Sarasota is is very nice. Also, it usually comes on a Thursday. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm arriving on a Friday, but uh, more on that later on. Uh, let's see now. All right. Where was I before I was so uh, so uh, efficiently interrupted here? Uh, <laughs> David posted this thing on the list. He said, he, and, and all it, all he posted was, he said, "Best ever airline safety briefing." And my first thought was that there was a story that went around about I don't know a month or two or three ago about a uh, airline safety briefing where everybody in it was naked. All right, do you right. remember this one? This, all right. this was a New Zealand air carrier that did. You know, they didn't show any any uh, gratuitous body parts right. or anything. But they were all like it, the they were all painted. they were all had you know painted on uniforms or something. But they were really naked. It was it was well done. Yeah, but this is not that. That's not what Dave posted for us. What Dave posted for us was actually kind of almost the exact opposite. Uh, it was yet another. Uh, uh, um, you know, and by the way, we 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 are the ones that broke the ground on this kind of thing. We are the ones that kind of set the, the tone. Sure. We were the 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 uh, I don't know what the right metaphor is here, but uh, um, uh, our listeners uh, began uh, years ago, literally uh, creating funky versions of our disclaimer message. And uh, and at first, I was a little worried about those because I thought that they're, because they're kind of flippant that they might not be legal. You know, I mean, assuming our disclaimer message is legal to begin with, but. Uh, I was a little concerned about that, and I, I spoke to our resident uh, legal expert, who I will go nameless because I don't want him to ever have to be responsible for the casual, but I'm sure good advice he's given us. Oh, uh, you're talking about Lenny the Shark, right? <laughs> that's right, yeah. And uh, But he pointed out to me, he said that, uh, you know, short of giving us an official opinion, he felt like the uh, flippant ones actually helped our cause because it, it caught attention and it did a better job of getting the message out to people. Well, these airlines are now using the same kind of... Uh, of uh, tactic here by doing uh, uh, versions of the standard flight you know, safety briefing, um, but doing it in ways that will catch people's attention, thus the naked one, which I'm sure got people to actually pay attention to it. But now this one is adorable. This one is just wonderful. They've, they've got the entire safety briefing that we've all seen hundreds of times, but it's being done by little kids, all right? And, <laughs> and it's just priceless, all right? You know, the little girl who was kind of the, the lead, you know, uh, flight attendant, if you
you will, all right, is just adorable, and she does a wonderful job of delivering the uh, the text. And then they've got all these awesome cutaways to like, uh, you know, everybody on the plane is being played by a kid, you know. So they show they show passengers, you know, putting on their seat belts and working with the uh, with the life preserver, and and they've got one little girl who's sort of like, you know. Almost having a little trouble with it, you know, but but demonstrating. You know, she's the one who puts on the life preserver, and she's the one who uh, plays with the mask and puts the mask over her head, you know. And uh, so the whole thing is just totally adorable, and you got to check it out if you haven't already. It's uh, where is it? Yeah, the uh, the uh, folks from uh, this is Thompson Airways that uh, uh, uses this on board their flights now, and uh, I, I noticed my most recent. Uh, forays into the world of travel by human mailing tube that uh, the carriers on which I flew had uh, gone completely over to pre-recorded pre-flight briefing messages. And the flight attendants on those flights was nothing but more than a kind of animated human to illustrate the different points being shown. I knew on international flights and on flights with video screens that some of these had been done with with video, where the flight attendants didn't actually have to do anything anymore, except point out the exits, because that can vary a little bit. Uh, But, you know, seeing one like this, and, and unfortunately, those were all pretty much the same, same, same old, which means the same old boring, dull, uh, almost nobody except paranoids like me who really want to know how many rows I am from the exit right. pay much attention. Uh, Alice and company are just charming. They're a hoot. Hats off to Thompson Airways because uh, they sure they they sure scored points with this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. When you take people flying, do you do anything special in the way of briefing? I, I confess that my briefing to my passengers is very is well. It, it's I craft it based on how how experienced or inexperienced my passengers are. You know, I mean, right, right, um, right, and. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, for example, I actually do a passenger briefing when I fly with an instructor, too, you know, but basically I'll look over to him and I'll say, you know how to work the door, you know how to work the seatbelts, right? And he'll look at me and say yes. And that I consider that to be, I mean, I shouldn't say that out loud <laughs> on the pub, on the podcast. I hope that's legal, um, you know, but uh, but then when I fly with non-flying friends, you know, I'm much more careful, mm-hmm. particularly about the door operation. I figure seatbelts sure. are seatbelts, and most everybody's sure. got experience with a seatbelt. Yeah, I usually use a Ken doll dressed in a captain's uniform dancing across the top of the glare screen and if you've ever watched adult swim on cartoon network you know what I'm- i i gave a i gave a passenger briefing once i uh i was in a skyhawk um and uh had everybody i'd never flown with these people before and, and they'd never flown with me before so i gathered them around out in front of the airplane and i said look you know i, w- I wanted to get you all out here uh to show you, you know, before I give you a safety briefing, to show you the most important nose on the airplane, and and I put, I put my elbow on the spinner, and I say, "This is not it," and I point to my nose on the on my face and say, "This is the most important nose on the airplane. Nothing's going to happen to this nose, and nothing's going to happen to you either. So what we're going to do is this, and you know, kind of break some ice, and and and, uh-huh, yeah. the, and I always end my briefing. 
with this. I say, you know, in, in the unlikely event something does happen, this is going to be an enjoyable flight, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. In the unlikely event something does happen and the airplane comes down that's on something that's not a runway, when the airplane comes to a stop, open the door, get out, get away. If you stop to ask a question, you will be talking to yourself. <laughs> yeah, because I'm going to be. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. that's a that's a pretty close parallel. Uh, <laughs> I always pointed out, you 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 seat belts in your car. Oh, good. They work the same here. Uh, but, <laughs> but but you don't have the option, uh, and it's not that there's a seat belt law where the state trooper is going to pull you over. There's a Dave law that says if you don't fasten them, I, right. I get to throw you out. Uh, right. Here's where the fire extinguisher is. Not that we're going to need it. I just want you to know, because if you see me reach for it, it means that I've dropped something in my lap that's really hot. Uh, this is how the door <laughs> latch works. Uh, this is when we were flying with flotation devices. This is how the flotation device works. Uh, Outside if in the, the event we put it in the water, uh, the flotation device, the, the thing called the life raft, goes out the door first. Yeah, don't pull that thing yet. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, uh, and then uh, if we appear to be headed someplace where we don't really want to be, I may ask you to take my shoe unlatch the door and wedge the shoe in the door so that we can be sure that the door doesn't slam shut when we touch down. No kidding. Because do you actually do that in your, out? Yeah. in your routine briefing? No kidding. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because uh, you can twist a fuselage enough that the doors won't open. No, I think it's a great idea. I'm just wondering if you truly brief people on that every single time. If they're first-timers or infrequent flyers, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. uh, here's where the fire extinguisher is. Here's where the fuel cutoff is. If I get incapacitated and it looks like something is smoking, it'd be really nice if you'd turn that little arrow to off before you <laughs> ran like hell. But otherwise, I'd understand if you just want to get out and run like hell. Mm -hmm. uh, but if we do have to come to a stop uh, someplace unplanned, that's what you should do. Get out and run like hell. Uh, and But, you know, so far, 100% of my flights have ended where I planned them to. Well, you know, that's funny. That's not really true. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, okay. But 100% of my flights have landed with me walking away from the airplane. That's right. There you go. That's all. It's a good record. That's a good record. So, yeah. So, congratulations to, like Dave said, Thompson Airways and Allison Company in the cool uh, safety video. And uh, and uh, we had a yet another one of our cool uh, disclaimers at the beginning, a brand new one from uh, uh -huh. Roy Searle. Uh -huh. uh, when they were playing Jeopardy, these guys are just awesome. I just tell, have to tell you how, how thrilled I am to have have uh, everybody, but particularly Royce and, and Mike Morgan, who have done most of the uh, the fun disclaimers. And this one was a hoot. And uh, uh, everyone listening has probably heard it at the beginning of the episode, but uh, we we thank them. And hopefully it gets the message across, that uh, which message being basically, please don't sue us for anything. Uh, so we came across another one of these airplanes. I, I have no punchline. There's no real story here. I just kind of put it on the list that this is we have yet another airplane that we need to add to yes. the UCAP fleet here. Uh, I got this as a I think I got this as a junk email. I, I must be on the on a list now. And uh, they decided that I might be a candidate. It just makes me laugh to think about it. Uh, that I might be a candidate to purchase a Boeing MD87ER VIP business jet. All right, which is just like a serious. I thing. saw that for sale. 
seriously um, lush airplane here. Boy, oh boy. Uh, you know. But looking, you know, two things I see wrong with it just right off the bat. Okay. It doesn't have high bypass engines. Okay. These are these are older tech engines on this airplane. Yeah. Um, and the panel is not glass. Uh, uh, however okay. much the, however much money they want for this thing, they should at least put all glass in it. It's not. It's 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 electronic steam. Interesting. I hadn't dug that deeply on it. Yeah, um, it's and that's uh, that's just kind. Of, I don't know how much they want for it. Maybe you know, maybe they're slashing the price or something. Well, but, you know, I mean, uh, not, not that I'm in the market. Don't if they're sending me, if they're sending me solicitations on this, they're clearly somewhat je- desperate here. Um, well, I I checked my budget and uh, we are cleared to get a valve stem cap. <laughs> yeah. For that, you might not even be able to afford. Yeah. Oh, their website is oh. doing silly things to my browser. I hate it when they do that. Yeah. I was just looking at the. Uh, I finally found the uh, the panel picture here. Well, I, I, oh, I, nice I got to tell like SG Air Leasing. By the way, yeah, I got to I got to give them credit for an opening to their website. Yeah. You know, are you considering a Gulfstream? Are you considering a public <laughs> business jet? Their MD87ER has uh, got everything. The MD87ER VIP. It even looks like it's got a uh, a designed by uh, scheme designers, scheme uh-huh. design paint job on it. Uh, paint job, yeah. yeah, it is a little it's bit. Got, it's got a phenomenal uh, cabin entertainment system, uh, multiple screens, all high def. Who cares about the cabin entertainment, man? The entertainment's in the front left seat. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's where that's where I'm going to be. But if you know, if you'd like for the fake, the, the the folks hanging out with you to uh, okay. actually, you know, enjoy themselves, and uh, that's a big airplane when you get the airline seat. That is. A, of, it's a. It's long. Yeah. It's long. Yeah. And now well, the, the photography's well. You know, they were lawn darts yeah. with engines. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, no, you know, but the accommodations are. I mean, so, I mean, admittedly, most of the time we're going to be enjoying the up in the front, all right. But you know, the back part we're going to be using when we're parked in the North Forty at at uh, at uh, Oshkosh, right? Can you imagine? <laughs> a- a- absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be. I- I've seen jets out there before. I've seen at least you know, Citation. Maybe yeah, maybe a Lear. I've seen a a Citation, a Beach Jet. Uh, yeah. No, no, these guys. A couple of plus twelve five airplanes. This airplane would park down at the south end. Down at the south end is where the big amphibs park. All right, you know, and there's like usually there's a a couple of big amphibs and maybe there's a DC three of some sort. All right, down there where people are like camping in the aircraft. Okay, and uh, and so this one will park down there because that's the you know although if you could afford this airplane you're certainly staying at the Hilton not not on the field. But well, uh, you'll have a room at the Hilton, but you might want to stay here too. But you know. to say, it, it, looking at the stateroom, the sitting room, the entertainment, so the, uh, the 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 club setup, club seating setup for eating, the galley, uh, you know, just give me a, you know, just give me feel for the APU. I'm home sweet home. I know, I know. Although yeah, here's my but, picture. 
Here, here's what I would do. So I'm going to tax this thing, and all the flag guys. I'm going to have my little, my little, my little uh, eight and a half by eleven piece of paper that says G8 camping. You need, you need, to, you need to phone window. this in. No, yes. no, no, no. You need to phone this one in before you plan to go. Okay? No. And so I'm going to hold my little sign up <laughs> in the window, and and the and the uh, volunteers are going to G8 camping. G8 camping. I'm going to taxi out in the grass. I'm going to shut it down. You know, right. And then if, what I'm going to do? If they don't change, if they don't change the vintage rules again, who knows? Yeah. I'm going to taxi on down in the grass. I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to go. I'm going to, and the little stairway is going to come out automatically. I'm going to climb down. I'm going to drive in my little tie-down line. Sorry, I'm going to tie the wings down, and then I'm going to go and climb. I'm going to carry. I'm going to carry out my package underneath the wing. I'm going to set up my don't, tent, don't and forget, I'm going to sleep right there. Don't 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 forget the claw. That's right. Yeah, we're going to use the claw to hold this airplane down. Right, just tie that puppy down. Uh, that's an MD87. Those are high bypass engines. Well, they, they just, don't look they just it. cowl. They cowl differently when they're back on pushers there's like that. Not there's not the same engines with which I'm familiar on late model MD8X airplanes. A, B, it's a it's I think it's an older MD80, um, not a newer one. Okay, it's um, an 87. It, so. It's it's an 80s. Well, I know. But not not I think 1987, like a, but an MD87. So that right. would make it uh, that would make it latter 1980s. Uh, they were into high bypass at that point. Just not. Well, they the, didn't have them like they do now. But um, I don't. I, you know, I'm not a connoisseur nor an uh, expert on objects. Um, I take it back. I take it back. These are these are bypass engines, all right, but they are diff. Decidedly in the low end range. These are, yeah. these are the good old, been on yeah. every MD80 DC9, JT8D, except these are the 217 Charlies, and they've yeah. been uh, equipped with Stage Four compliant Quiet Eagle kits. So, uh, nine hours of fuel, uh, only a maximum takeoff weight of 140,000 pounds. So. Uh, you could go a long way. Yeah. Okay. That's not a bad little airplane. So, can we keep it in your hangar, Jeb? Is that? What we... Um, we'll build another one. <laughs> okay. All right. All You're right. going to have to move a tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. So, uh, so I've been kind of offline for most of the past week and not thinking too much about aviation things. I was doing some research um, earlier this evening, and I came across this story that was from about. Uh, three, four days ago, um, regarding the uh, Rotax 912 uh, engines, and uh, nine, Rotax engines, the 912s apparently and 914. Um, was this a story, um, or is this just uh, the uh, FAA has issued a revised special airworthiness information bulletin uh, focusing on engine cooling for these uh, these engines? Uh, there's some apparently some concern. Uh, what is it if I'm from reading this? If they get in a, an unusually warm operation operating condition, this is basically a reminder of the recommended coolant for certain Rotax engines. Um, I don't know what people have been doing, but obviously someone's concerned that these engines are being run on improper coolant or unapproved coolant. And as as in response to the European version of uh, the FAA, the uh, the uncontrolled airspace favorite aviation agency mm-hmm. has decided to issue this SIB this SAIB, uh, noting the uh, European action, and it's it's the prudent thing to do. But apparently, you know, they're they're aware of 
um, maybe some some overheating issues uh, with improper coolant being in the engine. Um, the Rotax is very, I mean, if, not, not only very specific, but um, what they specify should be fairly inexpensive. Uh, and I don't, I don't understand perhaps why this is, this is, well, why people are not using the right coolant. That's yeah. just, that's just not, that doesn't make any well, sense. Well, you, you, you know how Americans can be about their knowledge of mechanical things. Yeah, yeah, I know they say you should use this kind of coolant, but they really only say that to help them sell more coolant. This ethylene glycol and water mix, hell, it works fine in the car. Why won't it work in the airplane? There They're you go. Internal combustion engines. But and then but you, you have to with, say that with a Norwegian with a Norwegian accent because this is a European accent. The FAA is just you know kind of CCing us on it. Yeah, so your, your accent's all wrong, but the sentiment's I, there. Uh, you, you're probably right there. Yeah, I should probably do it in uh, in, in my great German accent. Uh, mm-hmm. Nonetheless, the uh, the tendency for some of us, uh, European and American both, to kind of fall back on, well, but this works so well in another environment that we forget sometimes that specific environments can demand specific solutions and that uh, a lot of these instructions aren't done just for the financial health of the company that's behind the issuing. Uh, in this case, the use of ethylene glycol and water, like we'd get away with in a lot of our vehicles, is insufficient to remove the heat right. through the heat exchanger at the size of the exchanger that's on most of these installations. So you get a coolant exit temperature coming out of the cylinder heads that uh, is hotter than the radiators can expel mm-hmm. yep. and then you get into an overheating cycle and you get the overheating cycle it gets above 120 degrees celsius uh a valve opens coolant goes overboard you no longer have coolant remember these the liquid on this only cools the cylinder heads mm-hmm. which is generally the hottest part of the hottest part of the engine uh so the lose the coolant out of the cylinder heads and you could be in for uh you could be in for spending a lot more money than just on the expensive <laughs> yeah. coolant. Have we heard right. of any incidents that That's are related it. I'm to not this? Aware of any, but but then again, you know, I, I just did a uh, actually, you know, uh, pimp uh, aviation consumer here for a second. I just finished up an article. Uh, we did a survey via AvWeb of Rotax owners to get their impression of reliability, service, operating costs, things like this. Um, it has a lot of interesting data in it. As a rule, um, nine twelve and nine fourteen owners are are pretty happy, and and you know they know. You know, I've not heard. And there, there's certainly no no data in in our survey results, which is an unscientific survey. No data in there relative to overheating issues. So, mm-hmm. I know of a couple of instances where they've happened, where where overheating has happened. Uh, where there have been coolant system problems. Uh, I cannot think of one of those that did not involve an experimental aircraft mm-hmm. uh, in which the builder made some of the choices about the positioning of, gotcha. of heat exchangers, uh, the kind of airflow that they would see in the routing of coolant hoses and so forth. And that, you know, upon further reflection and further uh What's the word for this? Field-based research and development work <laughs> uh, that they were able to 
rectify the problem. So, uh, and I remember some of the early installations of the 912 in uh, in some of the what would be light sport airplanes today, light experimentals, uh, where you did everything according to a factory kit. Uh, there were some instances where the uh, where the uh, manufacturer when he started to get the kit manufacturer when he started to get a number of airplanes in climates hotter than they had had at home base uh they had to do some uh some tweaking of the coolant system yeah. but by and by and large the the only overwhelming consistent complaints i've ever heard about from rotax customers has been about the you know been about the price of uh components uh for their engines and Sometimes the uh, uh, obstinance of the company and in insisting that no other way will work. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Not really related at all, but but the, the only thing this makes me think of my limited experience flying nine twelves uh, Rotaxes uh, is that it, it you actually have a hard time getting them warm enough. Um, there's a, hmm. a checklist item that you're not supposed to do the uh, do the run up until the oil temperature has reached some number, which right. is on the checklist, and I want to say 120 degrees, but whatever the number is, uh, you're not supposed to uh, do the run-up. Apparently, it has something to do with some bypass, oil bypass valve or something that, that opens or closes at 120, and you're not supposed to... A thermistor. Yeah. So, uh, and and every single time I've flown the the uh, the Gobosh with that uh, Rotax, uh, we'd have, we'd be sitting in the run up area waiting for the temperature to get up there. We everything, you know, we're all ready to go. We've done all our checklists and mm-hmm. you know prepped and there, briefed. That and, uh, that actually was mentioned in one of one of the responses to the survey mentioned a, a cooling issue, and he, he mentioned that he could not get the oil hot enough, and apparently there's a um, exchange. Part available from Lockwood Aviation. We've talked about Lockwood on the podcast before. Um, that is one of the major um, uh, support centers for Rotax engines. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they put a, put a different thermostat, a thermistor, or whatever it was in the airplane, and the problem went away. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if they. Know well, we we've seen we've seen oil engine oil cooling and heating problems in conventional, you know, Lycoming and Continental uh, air-cooled sure. engines for years. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of aircraft had a uh, winterization plate to put over the oil cooler because the oil cooler is so efficient at removing heat from the oil that it can cool the oil to the point where it congeals, mm-hmm. which then kind of creates the opposite problem back in the engine where you want the oil to really be cool. Uh and that thermistor thing, the, that's an interesting little piece of, of machinery for regulating, mm-hmm. for regulating the oil temperature and, 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 uh, and, and thus flow because the oil gets thinner or thicker according to the temperature uh, at a certain point. And uh, they're susceptible to little bitty mechanical problems themselves, and, and they are really, Trash. really rare. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's it's always – I feel about liquid-cooled engines and airplanes kind of the way I would feel about an air-cooled engine in a submarine. Um, nothing <laughs> nothing wrong with it. It works. It's great technology. Um, but right now, an air-cooled engine works best for me. I don't know. What, what can I say? Well, it's, it's, it's cheaper. It's simpler. Yeah. Uh, it's available and it works, but yeah. the, the the fact is that there's a reason why all those uh, 
early golden age airplanes and World War II fighters that were at the top of the performance curve uh-huh. were flying on liquid-cooled engines. I know. Uh, I know. I know. They, they, they possess superior specific fuel consumption qualities compared to air-cooled engines. Right. That's uh-huh. a big thing. And they produce more power per uh, per gallon of fuel than the air-cooled engines. Uh, but then you got all this complexity of a cooling system that's got to go through altitude pressure changes and huge temperature swings like no car radiator on Earth has ever had to go through. And uh-huh. The additional weight and uh, uh, cooling complexity and... You know, the air-cooled engine is a really good compromise for our kind of airplanes. So I thought at this point I was going to let Dave go on a rant, but I think I'm going to hold it off until a bit later on. Oh, no. I know. When when did I ever rant? No, yeah, right, Dave. What's the the topic? NASA? Oh, yeah. It was going to be basic federal government rant, you know, which Dave can always be counted on for. (laughs) Although I had my my fair share in the last couple episodes, and uh, I got some mixture of of encouragement and, uh, you know, take it easy, Jack, from listeners. But but anyways, we'll we'll pass on the rant for a little while here. Maybe we'll come back to that. Um, A uh, a just amazingly cool story from the UCAP forums. Listener, uh, let's see, his username is R. Rob. Rob. It's Rob uh, Cigliano. 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 And uh, uh, Rob is a relatively newly minted uh, private pilot, and he tells the story in the forums, uh, the title of which is My Son's First Flight and My First Passenger. And uh, just a terrific story about uh, when uh, Rob took his son Joey, 14 years old, uh, for a, a short flight. And uh, it's, a, it's a, a longish story, and I won't try and relate it all here. But uh, but it's a great story, uh, and it involves uh, you know uh, him uh, Rob uh, you know his his pride and a little bit of uh, anticipation of taking his son for the first for his first passenger, and then the son becoming just totally entranced by the whole experience. Uh, and uh, just kind of really raring to go to kind of get involved as a pilot himself, asking Dad all kinds of questions about when can I learn how to fly, and you know, and Dad's kind of got a mixture of of of, of being thrilled at his son's interest, but also realizing that kids sometimes get interested in things you know momentarily, and so uh, Rob is kind of thinking through the process of making sure that Joey's genuinely interested, but Joey seems to be really sticking with it, and uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm not telling it well, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But and and anybody who's interested should go read it themselves. Yeah, you um, should go take a look at it. It's a terrific it's, story, and uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to congratulate Rob and Joey for uh, their uh, their, you know, and you know. It's a great story on so many different levels because it's like new private pilot. It's it's you know getting a kid interested in aviation, getting a kid interested in school. You know a different aspect of schooling. All right, it's a great father son bonding story. Yeah. It's just a really it's, it's a light sport airplane. Yeah, it's a light sport airplane. It's it's yeah, just it's, it's, it's a great yeah. story and uh, and I, I urge people to go take a look at it. It's in the uh, virtual hangar slash listener mail portion of the forums, and uh, it's called My Son's First Flight and My First Passenger. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. So congratulations to Rob uh, yeah, that's for uh, for getting his private pilot and uh, and Joey, go for it. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing your story one of these days. And, 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 and yeah, he'll, I want to hear more about. What you guys do out of Brookhaven? 
Yeah, and and hook him up to be a uncontrolled airspace subscriber too. Yeah, there you go. He may be already. You never know. The kids are better at this yeah. than the than the grown ups are. True. Uh, yeah. That's true. That's true. That's true. Another piece um, of. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No. 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 Uh, very good story. Yeah. Um, let's see now. I, I now see. I should have prepped myself better here. Another piece of listener mail from uh, listener uh, William wrote R O T E wrote, uh, and uh, William. Uh, let's see now. I know there was a good. The, the, I mean, first of all, he just he talks about how I just passed my pilot pilot check ride today, and I want to take a moment to say thanks to uh, Uncontrolled Airspace uh, for uh, helping me out here. Um, he says I've been working on my ticket for two years. It's not easy to keep moving forward. Um, it's just, you know, once again, another terrific story about uh, someone who's, uh, you know, it's a thrill that we motivate folks to uh, to get involved or stay involved with aviation, and uh, and we like that a lot. We like that a lot. Um, I'm, I'm quickly trying to, as I speak, I'm trying to read the, uh, trying to figure out what what was the sub subplot here that. Uh, that uh, he says on, on a second topic, I just listened to you, Jack, rant for the second week in a row, uh, and your frustration came through very clearly. I understand your desire to do something. Uh, oh, I, he, he writes very generously. That's maybe this is why I called attention to this. He says what you uh-huh. aren't realizing is that what you do every week does so much more good for the community as a whole. Uh, and uh, he, he just said some very nice things about uh, uh, the encouragement that we do for folks, and that's thrilling too. So. Uh, um, Keep up the good work, you guys out there, Bill and everybody, because uh, he talks a little bit about how he tells people about this and how he counsels people that that uh, that he refers to small airplanes or little airplanes, personal airplanes. But uh, it's it's good stuff. Thank you, Bill. We appreciate hearing from you. What's next? See, I've completely lost my chain of thought here. Uh, well, you had another note here from uh, <laughs> Kelly, Kelly in Missouri. Yeah, from Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Now, hang on. I'm just going to look at this one real quickly here and remind myself. Uh, it's great to hear from all of our listeners, but I'm trying to figure out why I. Uh, uh, oh, I know why. I, all right, here's why. Now I know why I'm, I called attention to this one. So those, she writes, "Good day." By those way, links go to the same. Yeah, and those and, links go and to the her, same place. And her email is down the lower half of the oh, page. Okay. Yeah, uh, email I got from it. Kelly okay. from Missouri. Kelly, good day. Uh, by way of introduction, I'm a private pilot in Central Missouri. Oh, yeah. uh, owner of a 172E based in at uh, K Victor India Hotel. Uh, longtime listener, first time caller. She says, so to speak. Uh, anyway, she writes. Wonder if you saw the letter in the October 2009 Flying Magazine in the Flying Mail section by Alan Cobb, who states in a seemingly knowledgeable way that quote Southwest Airlines will be flying RNAV approaches by spring 2010, and this is still in the quote, not necessarily aligned with today's airway system, end of quote. She writes, huh? Uh, Any chance of discussing this a bit? Um, This is in the instrument world. I'm not really up to speed on this stuff. Does this ring a bell to you guys? Do you know what she's talking about? Not not really. I I suspect it's it's, uh, some kind of uh, an ADSB-driven descent procedure. Um, that uh, has been tried out by UPS and, and a variety of other operators, and Southwest is now going to implement it at certain of its uh, um, um, destinations. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, this I don't know what this phrase means, though, not necessarily aligned with today's airway system. Everything by definition, is is aligned with today's airway system. It may be on airway, it may be off airway, but it's all aligned <laughs> with that airway system. Well, I um, think I'm, I'm I not think sure what that phrase means. This. Yeah, David, what do you think? Well, you know, we've we've got RNAV approaches now. 
you know, they're not as plentiful, certainly, as, as, as ILS or VOR approaches. But there are a lot of our nav approaches in the uh, uh, approach booklets out there now. And it's a growing phenomenon. Uh, yeah. What they call an RNAV approach is basically what you and I would call a GPS approach or a, a vertical guidance with localizer precision kind of GPS approach that uses the wide area augmentation system. The constant descent rate approach that Jeb's talking about has been in use for a while by uh, on an experimental basis by uh, United Parcel Service in Louisville. Uh, that's going forward, and it's going to be permanent, and it's going to get spread around to other parts of the right. country and other operators. Uh, it's basically, a huge fuel savings because you don't, say, you don't do all step that is, Yeah, all that is is you reduce power once, and the airplane uh, manages itself, manages its energy all the way to the runway. It's quieter, it's more fuel efficient, it's easier on the airplanes. And they just need a little bit of computer gadgetry to make it all work correctly all the time. And uh, they're finally getting around to installing some of that. That's what we're talking about. That's, that's kind of what I'm talking well, about anyway. I'll well, shut no, up. I think what RNAV, the RNAV that Southwest is, is getting ready to adapt to here, there are, uh, as I said, more and more of these special RNAV approaches, particularly into high-density areas like the Atlanta Bravo, uh, the DFW Bravo, uh, the L.A. Bravo, uh, New York, uh, Chicago, uh, where you've got multiple airports inside or underneath the, the, the Class B wedding cake. And these RNAV approaches uh, are basically very sophisticated WAS approaches that work with the flight director to let you do things that we were hearing the promise of back when microwave landing systems were well, not new technology. I was, you're reminding me of Ransom Airways and how they used to run those DC, I'm sorry, those uh, Dash the Havilland Dash 7s exactly. uh, from, from New York and Philly into Washington National. And they had a, a single clearance, and it was to shoot this RNAV approach. This was um, this was Rho Theta RNAV based on, on Vortec information. Uh, so at the time, the, this was well, yeah, this and, was even and it was evolving into to the MLS. Yeah. It became an MLS demonstration. Right. Uh, right. The, and, I believe um, what Southwest yeah. is getting ready to do is to you know they're upgrading their equipment to WAS level GPS navigators, getting the uh, level of performance out of their flight director system, uh, so that they can start using some of the RNAV approaches that benefit them. And when they say it's not necessarily aligned with today's airway system, I believe. And, you know, don't shoot me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe what's being talked about here is that it's not, it, it, it's not part of a SID or a STAR, uh-huh. a standard instrument departure, a standard terminal arrival route, which would be the big thing, uh, right. of the conventional kind that we're used to seeing. Those are all defined by VORs and intersections and, uh, and, uh, and radials for the large part. These... RNAV approaches are defined solely by points in space that the GPS navigates the airplane through. So you can do a curved descending approach into, say, Atlanta, uh, Hartsfield, that's completely off the, uh, uh, the stars that they're using for the two parallels down there on a regular basis. That opens up a lot of space to bring in aircraft 
without just adding to the length of the conga line that can stretch you know back beyond Athens. But what's uh, the uh, what's the user interface that guides the pilot along that curved path? It's it's going to be a, just a, a glass panel with um, one of these sort of director one bars. of these sort of squ- is it flight director bars or do they you've seen some of these things well, that have flight, sort of squares in the air that you kind of fly to it. Yeah. The flight director bars will respond to it, but by and large, this is going to be flown by the flight management system. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, the FMS is going to do this, and if you're really good, and there's special training for some of these newer, uh, higher-performance RNAV approaches, RNP-1, RNP-3, required navigation performance, they call it. These RNAVs that Southwest is going to start doing are in the required navigation performance demonstration area where the equipment's got to have a higher degree of performance and reliability. The flight crews have to go through special training so that if they had to, they can hand fly this thing. But they're talking about a curved descending approach route that can thread the aircraft between other airspace, other routes, and, uh, and, and buildings and obstructions to a degree within a tenth of a mile of accuracy when flown on the FMS with the GPS system, or that the pilot has to be able to do within a half a mile of accuracy if they've got to fly it by hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that accuracy window gets narrower the closer you get to the runway. Yeah. So, so uh, what's new about this is that there's not a lot of that being done by the airlines, eh? Uh, I, I was the, doing the RNP that. I was a, doing that. Go ahead, Jeb. I was doing that back on Tatooine, you know, when I was, you know, hitting the swamp rats from, you know. That's right. uh, (laughs) Well, okay. All right, Kelly, on that note. That's um, that's nothing new. You know, this is really smart of Southwest. This is going to open up space for them. This is going to save them time and fuel in a lot of instances. Uh, They're not going to be competing until other airlines equip up and train up. They're not going to be competing with a lot of other aircraft on a publicly published publicly accessible uh, uh, arrival procedure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Kelly, uh, from Missouri, I'm not sure if that's what you were asking about. I guess we're going to, once again, well, well, we're going to have I, to go out. I and, believe uh, that's what this is about. Yeah. Once again, it's we have just, to now go out and actually figure out if we knew what we were talking about. So we'll find this flying uh, magazine. <laughs> this is good and, and Kelly, from Missouri, I've been in Rolla National more times than I can remember. I love that little airport. Yeah. I yeah. actually got in there before they closed the flight service station. Got in there a couple of times. Ooh, yeah, the good old days. It was really neat. It was one of the last of the old-time walk-in flight service stations that was still around. Yeah. Yeah. And a quick quick apology on my part. For some reason, I got in my head that Kelly was a she, and a closer reading of the email, there's no indication one way or the other whether Kelly is a he or a she. So, yeah, um, I wouldn't say anything. But, but uh, I figured but, I'd let you take the heat. But we, yeah. Welcome <laughs> to the androgyny zone. <laughs> yeah, Tonight's guest right. host is Jack Hodgson. <laughs> Okay, that's enough. That's enough. That'll do here. Um, a video that's been doing the rounds of the internet for the last uh, few days, or at least I've noticed it for the last few days, has to do with a uh, a uh, Handley Page Victor bomber, 1950s uh, <laughs> vin- era vintage bomber, uh, that was oh, apparently man. apparently uh, uh, attempting to do, well, did in fact do a demonstration uh, at an air show where someplace in Europe, I believe, uh, and uh, was supposed to just do a high-speed taxi down the uh, down the runway, but uh, 
but in in sort of a Howard Hughes kind of moment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had I didn't even <laughs> thought of that. Uh, when I saw that. I was like, whoa, dude, you've been buy a lottery ticket. Yeah, That's no. Awesome. He uh, in a sort of Howard Hughes moment, uh, he actually uh, uh, this aircraft actually left the ground, and in in what was momentarily a pretty frightening scene, uh, uh, kind of went nose high and lifted off and drifted to the side and touched down on the grass and then rolled out on the runway and and stayed apparently on well on the pavement anyways uh and did not did not damage the aircraft from what i understand I, that seems improbable to me given that he came down on the grass but maybe you know and maybe uh, the landing gear could use an inspection but i don't think that airplane's ever going to fly again yeah i don't yeah i don't think the intent was for it to ever <laughs> well, fly what's yeah. supposed to be flying that day so exactly <laughs> exactly yeah, uh, they're going to really it, lock it down this time yeah you know it, remember it was light on crew it was light on fuel it was light on weapons so Right. Coming down on the grass wouldn't necessarily be a fatal, fatal blow to an airplane that built to carry the loads that that aircraft's built for. Yeah. Uh, a very it bizarre. It did remind looking... me of my very first trike flight. Oh yeah, okay. Tell which us. was about thirty minutes earlier than my first trike flight was supposed to have occurred. Oh, I think you have told us this story. Yeah, and you uh, you ended up pretty high up in the air, and yeah. Well, it was just supposed to be raising the nose wheel. Uh huh. Okay. And. When I tried to see, raise the nose see, wheel, you know, we have these films, we have these videotapes. We we try to teach you guys, you know, what happens when you raise the nose wheel, and you'd go out and you do it anyway. I, I'm raise, just shocked. I'm shocked. Raise the nose wheel on this trike, and uh, as soon as the nose wheel came up, the little trike assembly came forward even farther. And when the trike assembly came farther, my arms just inadvertently pushed the crossbar out farther. And the next thing I know, I'm 700 feet in the air going, I'm not supposed to be up here. <laughs> yeah. in, inadvertent, he said, Jack. Yeah, Did I you know. Hear inadvertent, that? right. He said inadvertent. 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 Ask, now, Dan John, ask Dan Johnson. He, 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 was, he, was my, he was my instructor for that. And he was there to watch the whole thing and keeping his fingers crossed as I flew the whole pattern that uh, I would learn to modulate the power a little bit better on the way down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, um, apparently there's some sort of controversy around this thing. I don't know. I don't know whether this is just well, our friends at AvWeb trying to whip up a controversy or not. But uh, there's a lot of talk about whether this uh, some, the, 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 people have used the word hoax. I don't quite understand what aspect I don't, of it. I don't they, see. I don't see it's a hoax. I think it's what. You know, not because Avwebs or or anyone else says it is, but it's perfectly ex- explicable. No pilot, no rated pilot, would deliberately do what this guy did. Okay, he would put it In down. In fact, on there the were runway. no rated pilots on the aircraft. Well, the the the, the um, yes, the left seater was was not current. He was not legal to fly um, right. that day, but uh, apparently for, he was. He was uh, qualified in all other respects, um, but it was according to the story. Now, uh, it was the uh, first officer, uh, the guy in the first officer position, who was not a rated pilot, had no pilot training, was a mechanic or something, and uh, firewalled the throttles mm-hmm. as they were rolling down the runway and held them there and would not let them go uh, per the left seater's uh, command. Oh, and, really? Well, that uh, part I hadn't heard. Y- okay. Yeah. There was apparently, I wouldn't say there was a physical struggle, but there was certainly a verbal struggle. Uh, What's the layout of this cockpit? Was it not big enough for the, I mean, it's a very interesting looking airplane. It's it's a a, 50s era military. It's not going to be luxurious. 
Right. So um, my point is, and obviously both seats can reach the throttle quadrant. So it's not sure. like it's not like he had to beg him to please pull back the throttles. Well, he could have reached over. He, and he slapped also had his to control hands. the aircraft. Well, that's true. He's doing uh, that. I'm so sure. you know, he's so let's let's do one thing at a time. And the airplane's at flying speed, and you have full power set, and you not you don't know when you're going to get full power. Reduced. It's time to. It's time to take off. You got to make a decision. It's like the man and, said, "Fly the airplane." You know. And, and, uh, yeah, you got to fly the airplane. And you know, he, he the aircraft lifts up off the ground, off the runway, and shuffles over to the left about fifty feet, and it st- and sets down on the grass. Yeah. And it's the weirdest thing, and it just continues to roll. Uh, and from from something I read, I don't know if it's the Avweb piece or not. It it got down and stopped off the runway in the grass without any damage. Yeah, um, but it was that 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 uh, that fo position guy who just kind of freaked out and locked his elbow on the throttles or something like that. Yeah. Um, no, nobody in a right mind would do that and set it down in the grass. Yeah. I can I can see lifting it off and say, "Oops, gee, I'm sorry," um, uh, but they're not going to set it down in the grass. You know, if you look at the video uh, and you put yourself in the shoes of the the pilot manipulating the flight controls. Right. Uh, you take a look at the video, put yourself in that spot, you realize that there wasn't a lot of time or space or altitude with which to make a decision. And you really only got two fundamental decisions available to you. And you got to decide them both very, very quickly. Uh, if you're going to try to put it back down, you got to start putting it back down right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're going to run, you know, there's a trees down there. Uh, it's a runway that was going downhill just about past yeah. the midpoint. Uh, right. Downhill to all those trees. If you're going to put it back down and get it stopped, you've got to make that decision down quick and then act on it smoothly so as to not turn it into something worse. If you're going to go around, uh, you, 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 you've got to firewall the throttles, get the nose down a little bit get it away from the stall attitude and get it into a maneuvering speed and get it the hell over those trees at the end of the runway and then deal with this whole other thing of, wow, I haven't landed one of these airplanes in about 100 years. Now, let's see, how did this thing land again? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. The airplane, you know, maybe there was something mechanically wrong with the airplane that it jumped over, you know, to the left like it did. Uh, maybe that was just part of the of the getting getting control of it, or maybe that's where he wanted to go. I don't know. Well, that's where the left seat guy was like frantically yeah. slapping at the hands right. of the guy. Supp- on the- supposedly, according according to what I what I read about this, but um, um, he he I was I figured that he was he was going to stall it when I was watching this for the first time, and you know, thankfully it was a. Uh, Roughly, I think it was a Delta wing. I'm not sure, but it had plenty of high altitude hang, low attack lift generated. So he flared the airplane, you know, held it in a held it in a flare position, and it slowed down and it landed. And yeah. you know, he just kept rolling off into the distance, and you're like, "Geez, man, yeah. <laughs> go buy a lottery ticket." Yeah, it's uh, a cool looking airplane. Were these things ever operational? What's the story? I'm sure oh, yeah. they were operational. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the British and the and the Russians really build some some really cool have in the past anyway built some really cool airplanes. Yeah, I mean it's got these uh, air, you know jet intakes on the on the wing roots and uh, it's got this kind of bulbous you know nose thing you know or and I just it's got think a lot of dihedral in the in the horizontal uh, stabilizer. Yeah, uh, yeah cool. giant to note. Yeah, 
It's kind of cool. Looking. It's just a really cool looking airplane. Yeah. It's too bad there aren't. I mean, I'm assuming there aren't any others flying, but uh, it would be fun to see it fly. It would be, It'd fun. be fun to have one at Oshkosh. Yeah. It'd be. It, it, it's an ironclad guarantee that if a uh, what was it Hanley Page Victor? Yeah. Accidentally takes off from the runway again. We'll be hearing about it. Yeah, that's pretty certain. That's pretty certain. Yeah. Um, on a on a less on a less how should I put this a less rant worthy federal note, Dave. Um, apparently, President <laughs> Obama has uh, nominated someone. Wink, to, wink, nudge, nudge. No, no. I, 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 by all, by all, everything I've heard, this is a good thing. Um, but uh, President Obama has nominated someone to lead the TSA, and uh, and and. Dave, you have any particular insights into this? Uh, not a lot. I, I did a little bit of looking into uh, uh, the, the gentleman's name is Errol Souther's. Uh, he is a uh, uh, highly experienced law enforcement officer and law enforcement executive. Uh, he's in charge of homeland security and intelligence for the Los Angeles Police Department, Airport Police Department. He's like the deputy chief of the L.A. World Airport's police uh, unit, which is a big outfit. Uh, he's very familiar as a result with security work around airports, around airplanes, and uh, and and. L.A. Airports has uh, more than just uh, uh, GA air or has GA airports under its uh, purview, so they uh, it they, does. They've I got was wondering about that. Yeah. Okay, what's it? What's that? I, I was wondering what his GA yeah. you know exposure is, and uh, I my my concern from reading his bio, which is very 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 terse here, uh, was that he might have you know kind of. He, he's heavily weighted into the airlines experience and maybe well, less into understanding you know, that, how GA fits that's in. That's going to be it's going to be hard to get around in this business. Uh, I mean, look at our FAA administrator. He is an active GA pilot. He's got tons of GA experience, but you know, you, you go breaking down his logbook. You know, the heavy majority of his flight hours are going to be on one twenty one operations. Uh, the the bulk of the bodies and the bulk of the cargo in the world do move by, you know, the commercial carriers. There's no getting away around that. Uh, the fact that they serve as such a tiny percentage of the airports available in the country is another issue. Uh, and we've got a new guy on at uh, uh, TSA in charge of the general aviation security side who's very versed in GA and is communicating extremely well with the industry and putting to rest a whole lot of their worries uh, about things like the large aircraft security program and eventually this, uh, you know, uh, the the TSA playbook and this badging program. uh, The the new guy was part of the uh, group that helped get a new plan and how the uh, how the uh, uh, Martha's Vineyard TFR operated when President Obama was on vacation and uh, for the first time creating access to the inner ring of that TFR for GA pilots to get in and out. Uh, and they allowed you know, the, a mechanism for the uh, tour pilot to fly, uh, even though his operations were certainly reduced. So uh, Earl Souther looks like he's a, a good fit for the post. Mm-hmm. Uh, he certainly has far more transportation experience than uh, his predecessor in the job. Yeah. So uh, uh, we're kind of heartened by 
the overall direction and the overall tenor that we're hearing out of the TSA these days. So uh, uh, we'll kind of keep our fingers crossed, reserve full judgment until later, and uh, and, and 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 hope for the best. Yeah. Okay. Um, was he in the, the EAA.org story that I was looking at um, says that he was expected to be nominated. Has he been officially nominated yet? Do you know? Um, I, I don't believe normally, so. I don't believe formally no, but normally when uh, uh, they make that announcement, they move forward. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I might add that uh, all the usual suspects in the alphabet groups, uh, you know, nobody came out with marching bands and and dancing girls at the nomination, everybody kind of looks at this guy as a viable candidate, as someone with the right kind of knowledge and experience. And they're all, you know, anxious to meet with him and make their two cents worth. And uh, they, too, are reserving judgments until they see how he actually works with them and responds. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's... uh, it's always nice if you get somebody that at least on the face looks like they've got the right credentials because they've worked in the right places. Uh, that can be rare sometimes. In this case, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it, but sounds encouraging. Here's a story that uh, is, is, is simply odd. Could have been an incredible tragedy. Um, a, uh, an Augusta Westland 139 helicopter uh, that was taxiing for takeoff, and apparently was in fact taxiing on its wheels as opposed to air yeah. taxiing, um, hover taxiing, or whatever they call it, um, and and just sort of very unexpectedly the tail just folded up. Um, it just kind of uh, probably as a result that's, of the yeah that's something you don't see every day. No. Um, I gotta guess corrosion has played a role here. Yeah, this is not in the states. Apparently, this is in. Oh, well, it's Qatar. Yeah, it's, it's Qatar. It's, it's Qatar, and and it's an it's a apparently a it says Gulf operators is the I'm sorry Gulf helicopters is the operator. You got to think that they're you know over the water a lot. Yeah. I would uh, imagine, um, and, you know, but uh, wow! Can you imagine being in, 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 in well, yeah. a helicopter in the right seat, and 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 you suddenly, first of all, because you know, it's behind you, you don't know what just happened, uh, and uh, I would imagine your first thought is that you just got hit by something, you know, but in fact, your airplane just folded up on you, man, oh man, that's just. Well, like, there's so much complex uh, hardware back in that part of the machinery. I mean, there's a gearbox for the tail rotor. There's a drive shaft or a drive belt, depending on the design. Uh, you could have something seize up somewhere along the, that that path yeah. of power transmission, ah, okay. and put so much torque on the sheet metal that path to do bad of things power to it. transmission. <laughs> <laughs> that path of power transmission. I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm writing it down right now. Yeah, let's write that down. Right, that, that, that might be the you title. Like that. For this. You could like be that. the title. That could be yeah. the title. Yeah. Words is my life. Three for a quarter. Yeah. yeah. I was going to go. I was thinking FOAD, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Well, I, I don't. This is. They never took off, so it's not a, not an off-field landing. It's not. A, there was no landing involved, but uh, it's just like wow, scary. You if know? this, yeah, I, if this had happened, taxi accident of the month. Taxi if, accident. If yeah, if this had happened, you know, ten minutes later or something, it might not have had such a yeah. That's what I mean. Outcome. You know, if this guy had taken off and this had happened anywhere in the air, this obviously would have had very, very different results. Um, they, I, the story that I'm looking at here, which is an Avweb story, does not make reference to how many people were on board at the time. Yeah, um, but uh, anyways, uh, and 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 how many seats were stained? 
exactly. All of the ones occupied. That's right. <laughs> so, do you, you notice though that the uh, that the tail rotor or the tail boom did uh, seem to travel in the direction of the rotor thrust? Oh yes. yeah, yeah, right. That's what I figured. It, you know, it's it's obviously going to fold up in the direction that that tail rotor is pulling or pushing, or as the case may be. Um. So let's see now. Uh, not exa- It doesn't fit my criteria. I guess might fit yours for an off-field landing of the week. This is a uh, plane that crash landed at Morris County Mall. Leaves student pilot instructor with minor injuries. Um, uh, Why doesn't that qualify as a? In my view, the airplane needs to come out a little bit less banged up, um, and this one appears to be... I thought it was anything anybody walks away from. That's your that's your definition, and it's a good definition. I could live with that definition, but but I like to see them actually successfully land and, you know, minor, minor well, damage. Well, that, that, that's certainly always desirable. You know, that puts it into the heading of a great landing off-field as opposed to just a good landing off-field. Although it seems like most of the time there's an off-field landing, the aircraft is actually not in the great category. It is not usable again at that moment. Once in a while, somebody runs out of gas, gets it down okay, you put gas in it and you're ready to go if you come to your senses about that. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, I've, I've always been comfortable with the, if they walk away, uh, you know, the rest of it's covered by insurance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, you, it's definitely good they got on the ground safely. They were able to basically walk away uh, with minor injuries. That's a good thing. Um, this is, by the way, Caldwell. This is uh, this is James's home airport. That's right. And, uh, That's right. Um, yeah. So uh, maybe we maybe we get James on uh, in the hangar one of these days, and he can, might have some inside info about this. Here's the part of it that kind of bugged me a little bit, and maybe this is just me being – all right, maybe this is just me. All right, so here's a paragraph from the story. And by the way, I'm reading from uh, NJ.com. Let's see now. Uh, NJ.com. Presumably yeah. New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Com. Um, paragraph, which I will slightly paraphrase, um, said, uh, Arlene Salak, uh, Salak of the Federal Aviation Administration said the recreational flight originated at Air Fleet Training Systems, one of three flight schools at Essex County Airport in Caldwell. My thing is that an FAA person referred this to this as a recreational flight, all right? And um, it, it just kind of bugged me because, first of all, yeah, it yeah. isn't a recreational flight, all right? It was well, a training we, flight, all right? Yeah, we, we, yeah, exactly. Okay, and I just think that an FAA spokesperson should know better than to minimize, diminish um, um, a, a general aviation operation like that. It just kind of bugged me. You, 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 I, well, hang, hang on a sec. I, yeah. I, the way this sentence is, is written and, and the way this is, this is structured, it's not clear that um, – she was referring to it as a recreational flight. It could be the writer is calling it that and using uh, something she said later in the in the sentence. I see what you're saying. That could be. Maybe we should. We need to call Arlene and ask her what she really said. Uh, uh, because all she's I, saying, all, all she, you know, it could be that all she is really saying is that the the aircraft, the flight originated at at a certain FBO, right. and the writer uh, referred to it as a recreational flight. The writer is characterizing it as a recreational flight. Yeah. Because this is, you know, it's all this kind of, you know, language is important and how we describe things yeah. is important, yes. you know. And, and you were, you were, you know, educating us a, a while back about how we shouldn't refer them as small planes. We should refer them as, as personal planes. And that makes some sense to me, you know. And uh, Well, um, when the NTSB report comes out, they will call it the personal flight conducted under. Exactly. Uh, uh, no, they'll probably call it flight training because it was a, it was a flight instructor and uh, what was what, what they characterized as an experienced student. 
Well, that's the thing that troubles me here. I don't really, I, I, I haven't read anything in this that says that this was an instructional flight. That there was a flight instructor and an experienced student, and you know, I'm looking at what it this, looks like to me. Is this looks like a retract? Is is what it looks? It, it is. That's an RG. What I was what I was getting at is it looks like um, a flight instructor and a student going out to get the student a complex sign off. Okay. Okay. So the That's student what it may, like. may have been a certificated pilot, but he was a student yeah. in this instance. Yeah, yeah I can this, buy is that. One, this, this is a 172 RG. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, all right. Well, whoever it was referred to it as a recreational flight. I was about to say something the listener <laughs> called me on. And, and, um, and the annoyed me. Terrible. And uh, there's nothing. There's nothing. The front end's crunched on the airplane. New engine, new new mount, new landing gear, and you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, the rest of it looks good. The, the, everything, assuming that's is the way it really, you know, none other parts touch down, but you right. know, beyond what we're seeing in this picture. Anyways, okay, I'll get, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll allow this to be uh, off field landing of the week. Congratulations to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, let's see now if I can't find their names here, but uh, the, this, this flight instructor and uh, student of some sort for successfully getting it on the ground when they needed to. Everybody walked away. Hooray. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's about it, Dave. You want to, uh, what were you, you, earlier on, let's see now, what did I skip over? You got a, we'll you skip, had, we can, we can skip that this week. We can skip that. All right. Good. Okay. Uh, shout outs. We don't have any on the list. Anything you want to, uh, say thank you to or hello to or, or whatever. Well, um, I was looking at something here that dropped into my mail this afternoon from uh, our old buddy, Tim Kern. At uh, 121.5.com. And he's uh, doing some uh, PR work for what's billed as the first ever fly in music fest. Uh, it's going to be held at Spinks Airport, Fort Worth, Burleson, in Texas on hmm. November 7th. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, some, an outfit called the Flying Musicians. Uh, who are coming from around the country, and the Fort Worth Songwriters Association uh, are uh, conspiring to have a fly-in music concert. Uh, you know, on the airport, at the airport, they'll have airplane rides, they'll have demonstration flights, they'll have music, they'll have live stages, uh, they'll have a place where uh, musicians uh, or singers can uh, just get together and jam. Uh, the... Uh, the uh, November date, November seventh date, uh, doesn't conflict with any of the big stuff that we know going on. I don't. Well, it might conflict a little bit with AOPA. I have to double check that. Anyway, uh, it, well, it's on a Saturday, so I don't think it does. But uh, they're going to have some uh, some folks there who uh, are involved in literature and uh, the. Uh, a guy named Ravi the Aviator, who's done presentations about making general aviation sexy at Sun and Fun in Oshkosh. Uh, he's supposed to be down there. Uh, anyway, it sounded like it was worth checking out. It's uh, www.flyingmusicians.org for more information. Great. Yeah. Um, I want to point out, we kind of alluded to this a couple of times uh, earlier in the episode, that uh, um, Uncontrolled Airspace is about to take to the air again. Uh, we are... Uh, 
Uh, inbound. Women and children stay inside. That's right. We are inbound to Wichita uh, in about two weeks. We're going to, uh, heading out there for a number of different things. Uh, uh, Jeb and I uh, were both so intrigued the past couple of years hearing David talk about the uh, Bombardier safety stand down that uh, we managed to wangle ourselves passes to it as well this year. So the three of us are going to be attending the safety stand down, and we hope to uh, be uh-huh. reporting to you uh, on that. And that will be fun. Um, two other activities we hope to be doing while we're out there. First of all, uh, on Saturday, October 3rd, we plan to attend the uh, Ponca City Pancake Breakfast. Uh, David, depending on how you answer this question, I may or may I, I will either leave this in or cut it out. How are we doing? Do we, will we talk to them yet? Are we going down there? Are we going to? We're going down there. Uh, <laughs> to do our <laughs> they don't know it yet, but we're going to record an episode of the podcast while we're down there at Ponca City at the Pancake Breakfast, and uh, and yeah, it might be three guys sitting in the in the in the airplane, but we'll we'll do yeah. it. Yeah, so oh, uh, no, we're, we're going to stake out. A, we're going to get there early, stake out a picnic table. Uh, well, I got a note in to the guys because I'm not sure what their internet access situation is like. We don't need internet access. All we need is electricity. I'm, I'm just fuzzy on this whole early thing. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, we talked about that before. We'll, we'll work on you, Jeb. I'll, I'll, we'll get you an alarm clock or something. Right? What do we mean by early? Dave has told us well, before he has a dog. It's okay. Breakfast is, breakfast is over about 1030 in the morning. Over. That means, you know, you come at 1031 and you might get the scrapings from the biscuits and gravy. Uh, so to be down there and be assured of well, a, a good place to sit. What if I got set, there at- uh, what if I got there at 1025? place to do the podcast and see breakfast before we get started. We should be down there when they open at 730. Maybe maybe we should fly in the night before. <laughs> David, we'll work on him. We'll take care of it. Don't worry it's about it. It's 50 miles. <laughs> we'll work. It will be all right. It'll be all right. Yeah. Uh, let's see now. Um, also, uh, David, you are trying to gather together a, uh, a little UCAP meetup for a while we're in Wichita. What's the story there? Well, it just seemed like a natural. Uh, We're it does. all going to be here. Tell us the dates and locations. Tentative. Uh, Tentative. The, uh, well, if if we do it, it's going to be on Friday, October two, uh, at uh, the uh, the uh, establishment of a pilot buddy of mine here in town. Uh, it's called the Hangar One Steakhouse. Uh, it's just north of the departure end of Runway One Right at Wichita Midcontinent. And that means that it's, uh, you know, just off the arrival end of 1-9 left. And the restaurant's shaped like an old World War II Quonset hut hangar. And it has, on the fourth floor of an attachment, a control tower bar. The control tower bar has a 270-degree uh, view of the world outside, which includes looking at runway 1-right, one, 1-9 one, left. And so you can watch the traffic. You can see the rabbit run. Uh, you can catch the departures, the arrivals. They got a good selection of brews, uh, some decent munchies, and thought that that would be. We did uh, the uh, Stick and Rudder Club the last time we did this. Uh, another great aviation institution from a great Dave, aviation family. So we're going to do is, it at a different place. Yeah. Is is Jack paid up? No. As a matter of fact, well, yeah, it, we're even now. We're even See, now, man. We, we like, we're like at I, eight. I, Dave, I don't remember it that way. Do you? I don't either, no. 
<laughs> All right, more on that later on. Um, so uh, watch the uh, the UCAP homepage. Uh, when we get close to the date, we'll put a box there uh, uh, near the top of the homepage with the specific details about this. But uh, you might want to mark your calendars for Friday, October 2nd for the meetup in Wichita and Saturday, October 3rd for the breakfast at Ponca City. It's going to be cool. We're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be a busy week, though. Yeah. Jeb, did you have any shout-out? Um, just one. Um, um Lee Steichleather, um, who you, both of you know and, and, and li- regular listeners would, might remember as my mechanic, um, works on my airplane for me. He's just getting his house in Virginia on the market this weekend. And uh, I got my fingers crossed uh, he'll be able to get what he wants out of it and uh, um, get out of D.C. and, and move down here. I was going to uh, ask, so you've lured yeah. yet another person. Down well, he's, to, he's, his father lives nearby. Ah, uh, that's right, of course. he's going to move in with his father and, and do a bunch of stuff, you know, he, he, both, both of them together. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, he's his coming down here permanently. two dogs. That's right. He's coming down here pl- permanently, planning to anyway. And uh, I'm just wishing him luck that uh, he gets that house sold and, and gets his butt down here. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. The man in black. Time now, to stick it forward. Anybody looking for a house in the Arlington, Virginia area, I, I can hook you up. Okay. It's, uh, it's a jab at uncontrolledairspace.com. That's right. Uh, time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, let's see now. That's Dave Higdon. Uh, Dave is a, uh, an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, nowhere. I'm not working. <laughs> no, uh, avbuyer.com, uh, aea.net, aviationsafety.com, uh, davehigdon.biz, or entertain yourself, Google, and then try to guess which one is the golf writer and which one is the theoretical physicist and which one's the aviation dude. Okay. Yes. And then that's, and then you'll get to Higdon. That's gonna right. be that's gonna be the challenge there, right? Yeah, okay. And Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the net, Jeb? Uh day job. Uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com. Um, personal websites, jeburnside.com. I pop up uh, uh, around AvWeb. I'm going to be popping up on AvWeb again here in the near future uh, with a project. And uh, um, Oh, please tell me it's another video. Yeah, no, 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 no more video. Say it ain't so. <laughs> no, this, no, not a, it won't, I, I'll say this right now. I have no videos planned. Rats. <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm. I was hoping for my I've got second a, stand as a production assistant. Yeah. I've got a project in mind. I just haven't put it together yet. Uh, just, just you know, keep your powder dry. Okay. All right. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to uh, Jeff Ward, uh, Scoffrey Jet in the forums, for creating our excellent show notes. Thanks to Roy Searle and Mike Morgan and to the many other listeners who have created the terrific show opening disclaimer clips that we use. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? 
Live longer, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. That's right. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN, folks.